Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. David Baer, who is the Director of the Research Office at the U.S. Army Institute of Surgical Research in San Antonio. Uh, Dr. Baer, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Good morning. Thank you. I don't know that uh, many people are aware of uh, the Army's extensive uh, scientific capability and extensive research that uh, goes on at many uh, facilities. The Institute of Surgical Research certainly is one of them. Could you give us a brief overview, please? Sure. Um, the U.S. Army is, uh, has a, a mission to provide medical research that benefits soldiers uh, in the environments in which they work, and so we have a number of initiatives. Uh, looking at operational medicine, which is probably in the civilian world uh, most equivalent to something like sports medicine. It's where the work gets done on uh, environmental medicine, looking at uh, high altitude uh, environments and how people operate, and things like uh, uh, nutrition and hydration. The program that I work with is the Combat Casualty Care Program, and it's really focused on providing medical care and improve medical devices and techniques for soldiers who are injured uh, while deployed. And so that work focuses on traumatic injury and the care given to people who are injured at all levels, from the care they can give themselves, uh, the care they get from a medic who's most uh, similar to uh, uh, a, the civilian equivalent would be uh, an ambulance attendant or something like that, through a field hospital into the transportation chain that brings them back to the uh, either Germany or the United States for care that's given in a traditional hospital. So we have research efforts in, in all those areas, uh, and within that we have a fairly new initiative, uh, been going on for three or four years now, to uh, engage the world of regenerative medicine and bring those advancements to benefit the, the soldiers who are injured while on, on active duty. So, as I understand, you have a, an in-house uh, research team and uh, your office uh, also funds uh, extramural research as well. That's correct. Our in-house research team has really two areas of focus. One is injury to the extremities, so we're interested in injuries to bone and muscle, skin, nerve, and, and blood vessels, and uh, as well as a clinical care research team that's really focused on what's going on in the ICU environment, the intensive care unit environment, and then what happens afterwards in rehabilitation and reconstructive surgery. So the one I'm most uh, involved with is the Extremity Trauma Research Group. Uh, my own work is really focused on skin regeneration, which is a significant problem for us, both in the context of burn and in the context of uh, other traumatic injuries where skin is lost and, and generating coverage is really a key problem for us and one where current technologies are, are good but there's certainly room for improvement uh, to generate uh, skin that can be used to replace skin that's lost to either burn or traumatic injury. I've had the pleasure of seeing some of the uh, science that comes from your laboratories, and it's uh, certainly commendable both uh, from your personal perspective as well as your colleagues, uh, the incredible work that's going on and the absolute commitment to, uh, to our uh, fighting soldiers. Uh, I gather that the, uh, the current conflict has uh, uh, created some new challenges in terms of uh, state-of-the-art medical care. 
That's correct. We're very proud of the job we've done uh, saving lives on the battlefield. Uh, right now, the, the death rate from combat injury is half of what it was in any previous conflict, and that's come through a lot of hard work by a lot of people, including providing better protection for soldiers, as well as providing better care uh, in a very difficult environment far forward. The outgrowth of that has been that we've had uh, a lot of severely injured people who are returned to the United States for care, and that creates some real challenges in caring for those folks in a way that uh, returns them to a productive life, either within the military, back on active duty, or if they choose to, to exit the military, making sure that their ability to function in the world is, is maximized and that their quality of life is, is as good as it can be. And that's a place where we feel that regenerative medicine can really have an impact. It's actually a, a great place to work because of that mission focus. We never have a question of uh, whether what we're doing is important. Um, we see it every day in, in the lives of soldiers as we try and improve their function and, and let them have the independence and quality of life that uh, they deserve. And these are, by and large, relatively young people, so uh, any benefits, any gains we can make uh, can have benefits over a lifetime. So our work is both very focused but does have uh, basic science components that we feel uh, proud of bringing to academic meetings as well as uh, like I said, that, uh, that applied approach that, that uh, uh, brings change to people's lives. I'm sure you're absolutely aware, but just to remind our listeners that uh, as we talk about these types of situations, there needs to be a continuum from very basic science through obviously clinical translation. And it seems that uh, you uh, are concurrently addressing all these aspects. That's correct. We have, uh, in our in-house research program, we have, uh, at the basic level, we're looking at the methods that are used to collect adipose uh, stem cells to culture those and expand them and then uh, differentiate them, and that's fairly similar to the work you might see in many other uh, academic labs that are working in this field, and we take a very collaborative approach to that. Um, we we uh, actively seek out academic partners and, and conduct that work in a way that, that uh, most of the people who are, who are used to seeing an academic approach to science would, uh, would recognize, and we, we take that work and publish it and present it at, at academic meetings. And then to try and uh, move the field to bringing these advances in basic science and applying them to uh, medical care, we also have programs ongoing at clinical application as well as translational research. Some of the things we're applying in the clinic uh, right now is we're working uh, with extracellular matrix uh, products because those are tend to be the ones that are uh, most advanced in the development and regulatory fields. And so uh, we're working on some skin donor sites, so sites that wounds that are created to develop skin for uh, providing coverage and looking at ways to treat those with extracellular matrix such that uh, wound healing is accelerated and the skin that's left behind is, is um, as normal as possible. And then also uh, another program looking at an extracellular matrix product to see if we can generate uh, length in digits, fingers that have been lost due to traumatic injury. Um, we have the Army's burn center is located at Fort Sam Houston at the Institute of Surgical Research. And uh, it's very common in burns for the fingers to be lost because they're just so so thin and, and uh, 
it just is an area of the body that's commonly burned. So when you don't have fingers, even though that's a small amputation, it's one that has an impact on uh, quality of life, and we're looking to generate enough length that, um, that a pinching motion can be made, that the thumb and a finger can be opposed, and that really allows someone a much better quality of life, much more independence. Um, so those are examples of ongoing clinical applications, um, and, and there are many other places where certainly clinical benefit could be brought to these soldiers using uh, regenerative medicine, and that, that's certainly our goal. As you talk about these exciting trials, uh, and I know your first priority are the soldiers that you serve, uh, I see uh, in the future that the, there's some very uh, clear spin-offs in terms of the general population for these emerging technologies. Certainly there is, and that's uh, been exciting as well. In the world of uh, finger uh, in generating length in amputated fingers, there's certainly no shortage of people who have lost their, their fingers to uh, other traumatic injuries, and we get uh, a number of those in through uh, burn and trauma service, and we see that as a perfectly analogous uh, injury that uh, could benefit from this sort of treatment. And orthopedic injuries in general are extremely common in the civilian world as well as the, the military world. And if we can improve the functionality of those of an injured limb, whether it's an injury to the bone or the soft tissues or the skin, certainly see a benefit to society at large. And we depend on that so that we have interactions from folks who are interested not only in military uh, injuries and improving the lives of soldiers, but interested in developing products that have wide applicability. And we see that those sorts of products as are really our, our, our way to improve the lives of soldiers because wars won't last forever and there'll be a time when these, these, these products need to, to live on their own and we see the civilian applications as key to making that happen. In addition to the applications that you mentioned that are immediately transferable to uh, civilian uh, situations, I assume the, uh, the burn treatments would fit that as well? Absolutely. So the burns that happen in the military are uh, identical to those that happen in the outside world. We, we've actually done some studies looking at uh, comparing civilian and uh, military burns, and they happen in different ways, as you would imagine. For military burns, it's usually explosions, but for the civilian side, it tends to be cooking accidents and uh, mishaps of those sort. But in the end, it's still uh, destruction of skin by heat, and, and that creates the same set of problems in uh, the military population as the civilian population. And any way you can improve the, the regeneration of skin to uh, give better outcome in terms of skin that is more similar to uninjured skin would be a, a significant advantage for both the military population and the uh, thousands of civilians who are burned each year in, in all over the world. These are all very fascinating developments and the interest in the civilian population I'm sure is as high as, as it certainly is in the military community. Are uh, civilians uh, able to participate in uh, these types of trials and or uh, can civilians uh, benefit at the conclusion of the trials uh, through your institution? Yes, we actually, it's, it's one of our things we're, we're very proud of at uh, the Institute of Surgical Research is we treat both civilians and uh, military at the hospital and those 
those clinical trials are enrolled based on the injury and not uh, whether the, the patient is a civilian or a member of the military. Uh, the, the care given is exactly the same to both of those groups. So uh, both groups have the opportunity to participate in trials and uh, are enrolled in those. In terms, so that's for the, the work ongoing in, in clinical trials. Um, once those, those clinical trials are completed and we have a product that we think is, is ready for the marketplace, um, it is certainly open to anyone to use. We typically try and work with a commercial partner if there's a, a, an actual product involved to make sure that that product is in the marketplace and available to everyone. If it's instead of a product, a technique or change in care, we put that uh, information out in the peer-reviewed medical research so it's available to providers all over the world to implement those sorts of changes. And I understand there's a website uh, which we will list on the Regenerative Medicine Today podcast site where uh, interested parties can uh, further explore the availability of such uh, treatment. Yes, the, there is a website that uh, the Medical Research and Materiel Command of the Army uh, maintains for combat casualty care, and, and we'd be happy to make that, uh, that link available. So let's uh, spend a few moments and talk about uh, opportunities for collaboration with ISR, uh, both in terms of uh, uh, commercial or, or academic institutions and uh, also for employment, either short-term or long-term employment opportunities with ISR. At the ISR, we really depend on uh, interactions with the civilian uh, medical research community, and we have several ways that we can, can work with people. At ISR, we have a summer internship program, and that is for undergraduate students as well as uh, graduate students who uh, come to the ISR and work during a summer to, uh, on one of the ongoing research projects we have in the labs. And that's been a very successful program. We've had undergraduates take uh, that work to meetings and publications. And that's uh, a, a nice program not only for the students, but also for us to, to be able to reach out to the community at large. We also uh, hire a fair number of postdoctoral level researchers uh, to work on our programs. And those uh, terms usually run for one to two years, but they've certainly uh, gone longer in the past. And uh, we do that through a number of mechanisms, but the the uh, pay and opportunities are very competitive with what's uh, available at other labs, and, and the work certainly shares that basic science approach with uh, an applied focus that I think can be a real benefit to to uh, a young scientist career. We also have opportunities for more senior level people. Uh, we of course have an in-house research program and we're expecting to grow that program in the near future. Um, we do that through hiring PhD level uh, scientists to come and work at the ISR. It can be a nice place to work partially again because of the uh, mission focus and the real reward that comes from working in such an environment. But also it's worth mentioning that these are internally funded programs so it really frees people to explore uh, applied research and translational research that, that's funded by the Army and doesn't depend on obtaining outside grants. We also have the opportunity to bring uh, faculty in for sabbatical year or bring them in for a summer to work on joint programs. And we have uh, active collaborations going on with folks who, who don't work at the ISR but, but work at other laboratories and other universities 
and we're certainly happy to do that. There are also a number of funding opportunities uh, that the Army has that, uh, in, that, that fund work in regenerative medicine, probably the most traditional of which is the Orthopedic Trauma Research Program. Uh, that program, the, the link to that program can be found on the ISR website, and we'll provide that link as well. And it's a congressionally funded program that is competitive. Uh, it involves a pre-proposal of about uh, four or five pages, and then those that are invited to submit a full proposal, those proposals are, uh, are competitively evaluated, and the funding for that ranges in the uh, five to seven million dollar range each year, anywhere from 10 to 20 proposals uh, per year generally funded. And uh, we will provide a link on regeneratomedicinetoday.com where interested parties can further explore this. Mr. Barry, this has been a uh, fascinating discussion. Uh, first, uh, I appreciate uh, you sharing with uh, our audience the uh, incredible effort and commitment that uh, you and your colleagues in the military have helping the uh, injured and uh, also the exciting opportunities this brings to uh, bring these uh, emerging technologies to the civilian population as well. So I say congratulations and uh, thanks again. Until we have a chance to meet on the next Regenerative Medicine podcast, uh, this is John Murphy, and uh, best wishes uh, until we see you in two weeks. Thank you.